passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the long and winding Royal Road. Uh, my name is W.H. Park, and uh, this is the show that looks back at the greatest in-ring period of professional wrestling ever, at least in my opinion, and, and actually many, many other people's opinions. And, and uh, yeah, so that, it's, it's a kind of a, a favorite period of time for me. Like, I... I'm always amazed going back and watching a lot of these matches and just like thinking, oh, nothing tops this. This is so good. But um, yeah, so I want to talk a bit about episode 20 before we get into episode 21 here and I introduce my guest here. But like episode 20 was our June Akiyama biography, which was uh, very well received. And I want to say thank you to one uh, Mr. Eddie Kingston for uh, tweeting out about the episode. And I think it got a lot more eyes on on that particular episode of Gene, about Gene Akiyama and on the show in general. So, so thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, we uh, hope to have you on the show in the, in the future at some point. The invitation is out there. A lot of people were saying, hey, WH, you should see if he wants to be on the show. Well, we're, we're, the ball's in his court, so to speak. So we're, we'll see if anything comes of that. But uh, this is episode 21, and, and my special guest today is a contributor over at the Eastern Lariat, uh, doing a lot of the podcasts with Dylan Fox and Striga. And uh, yeah, he's also a really good follow over on Twitter. He's a big fan of matches that are under 20 minutes, which, hey, I'm a big supporter of that as well. And his name is is Robert McCauley, but we just call him Rob. Rob, how are you? WH, this is so great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Like, so um, let's talk a bit about you do you do a lot of stuff with with uh, Dylan and Strega over the Eastern Layer, which is how I'm familiar with you. But also over on Twitter, you're very active over there on the the wrestling Twitter sphere, uh, for good or bad. Like it's up to how you feel about wrestling Twitter. But um, I want to ask you to get started. Is like talk about like your history as a fan of you know professional wrestling overall, but in in particular for maybe like Japanese wrestling and 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 then maybe even more focused on maybe all Japan pro wrestling of this era? Well, I mean, as someone who grew up in the Attitude Era, you know, I, I was all, I, you had to be all in. You were elementary school, like everybody's talking about wrestling. That's my entry point. About 12 years old, I'm like, oh, this wrestling thing is not very cool. Stop watching it. About 2012, there was a CM Punk documentary, Best in the World, and he was a straight edge guy. I'm also a guy who doesn't do, doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs. So I thought that was really cool. He's a punk rock guy. I like punk. And I'm like, okay, I'll get back into wrestling through this guy. Six months later, he's out of WWE. I'm like, well, I mean, what's going on? Um, but in that time of being a fan, I would you know go on the Facebook pages and you'd be able to interact with all these fans. And everyone would say, hey, 
you know, the best era of wrestling all time is the all Japan nineties. And, you know, I, I just scoured YouTube looking through all these random matches. People say, Oh, this is, this is great. Oh, this is great. You know? And I, I would agree that these are some really incredible matches, which would get me into the current Japanese scene. You know, first it'd be like, you know, 2014 new Japan. And then, you know, following the Indies a bit, I would find, um, DG USA, which would bring me the Dragon Gate. And it kind of all snowballed from there. But, you know, I'm not sure if today's, like, if you get into wrestling today, people look back at the All Japan time. You know, 2012, that was a big deal of people being like, yes, wrestling is cool, but you need to be going back to this period. And I always agreed with them that it was I mean, some of the most insane match quality that you can find. Yeah, and, and one thing like some people will will uh, say about like for example like let's say 2012 2013 to maybe 2018 New Japan Pro Wrestling is like what about that and listen it's it's great stuff but most of that stuff is singles matches there's very few if any like great tag team matches that come out of New Japan in that period whereas like in all Japan you're getting like not only these amazing singles matches but you're also getting amazing tag team matches you're also getting amazing six-man tag team matches as well which you don't necessarily get like anything on the level of like you know the you know the holy demon army versus like you know burning or or versus misawa and kobashi in in new japan per se and or you're, you're definitely not getting any six-man tag matches that are the equivalent of like you know sarutagan versus super generation army so you know what i mean like to me it's like it's it's more well-rounded as far as that goes, that being said, all Japan does not have the junior division or the, the quality of junior matches that, that new Japan has. And that's always been kind of a blind spot for them in, in the Baba era, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting when I, when I talk to someone who comes to wrestling later than me, who, because, who's younger than me and then has come into wrestling in a different kind of Avenue than me. Like I started as a fan with the WWF with after the first WrestleMania and then by the time I'm in my, my, you know, my university years, I'm like, whoa, what's this stuff from Japan? This is like, this is more what I'm into. I like the, the, like kind of the more the pure sports presentation that, that was in, in Japan at the time. And so it, I've always latched onto that, but um, yeah. So you are definitely someone who watches a lot of the all Japan of the 90s stuff then Rob. I try to, I mean, you mentioned being a part of the Eastern Lariat and, you know, Dylan, he's just got an encyclopedic knowledge of everything. So through the years now of doing shows with him, off the air, it's a lot of talking about this era of wrestling. And he likes pushing me in this direction. And because of his conversations is why we landed on this match in particular, because he's a big fan of one of these men. I mean, oh. all these men, but one of these men in particular. One of these men in particular. So let's talk about uh, the match that you picked for us to talk about today. Well, please introduce it. This is No Fear of Takawa Mori and um, Yoshihiro Takayama against Burnings, uh, Jun Akiyama, and Kenta Kobashi. And this is for the All Japan World Tag Team title. This is held on October 30th, 1999. It's part of the All Japan's October Giant Series Tour. It's uh, emanating from Budokan Hall and the... Uh, listed attendance for this is 16,300 people. Um, this was a se- this particular match was a semi-main event of this show. The, the main event saw Vader taking on Mitsuhara Misawa 
for the Triple Crown, and it's a match where, where Vader won the title, won the Triple Crown, I believe, for the first time from Misawa. So it's very, very, you know, a lot of big things happening on this show. But another, I think another reason why you picked this match was that it does come in under uh, 20 minutes, and that's kind of like something you're kind of well-known for over, over on Wrestling Twitter is, like, you really promote a lot of, like, your favorite matches that are under 20 minutes. Yeah, it was kind of a joke thing at the beginning, beginning of the pandemic, and uh, people latched on to it. Now I can't get away from it. I tried to put up polls now. I was like, oh, should I abandon it? Everybody's like, nope, nope, keep doing it. It's like, all right, well, guess it's my thing now. No, but it's a good thing because it's like, listen, I I feel like I don't want to watch matches that are just long for the sake of being long. So, like, anything that's, like, 25 or under is, like, and is, and is getting a lot of praise if I haven't seen it live is, like, yes, okay, I'm going to check that out for sure. Yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for a match that knows its confines and doesn't go beyond what it needs to be, which is exactly what this match is. All right, so you you wanted to talk about the background of this match, in particular, like one particular person more than the others, and and who would that be? That would be Takawa Mori. Um, Dylan, I'm, I'm, I think he's long said that's like the only wrestling shirt he has that came from Japan itself. He's a big fan of Omori and doing this project. Let me really dive into this man's career and find out why it is Dylan loves him so much. And I mean, it's so easy to tell why, when you know, Dylan in particular, right. A uh, big fan of Yoshihashi, kind of one of those guys who never got his due and really had to work hard for it. And Omori has a very uh, similar background of, you know, he was in the same class as Akiyama, but he wasn't pushed at all up until this 99 run. And I was seven years into his career by that point. Even just taking a sip of water. I also think that, you know, like Dylan being a big fan of like early 2001 and Omori mm-hmm. was like a, such a big, big part of that era of, of zero one was probably another reason why he's a big fan of Omori, but you know, uh, t- speaking of like Dylan's love for, for, for Takao Omori, he does talk about that t-shirt. I, I remember hearing him talk about the t-shirt. I, sometimes I think, He's a fan of him because of that T-shirt, because he, it's the only T-shirt he has from Japan. And that's entirely possible, too. You know, that's very Dylan as well, maybe. And he's going to be listening to this and thinking, no, that's not. I'm not like that at all. <laughs> well, you are Dylan. I, you know, just, just let you know. It's no, nothing against that. That's, that's perfectly fine. But what do you, what, t- tell us a bit about Takao Mori then in your research, Rob. Well, you know, like I said, he was in that same class as Akiyama. Um, Akiyama immediately, I mean, within months, right, was in the real world tag league with uh, Taue. And Omori, he had nobody. Akiyama, for the um, carnival that year, gets hurt before he can even have his first match. It was like the prelim. And by the time he comes back to injury, they heat him up by tagging him with Omori. So these two were able to have this great run with Omori always under him. And that kind of leads into, feeds into Omori's career up until this point of being that guy that's always under Akiyama. You know, Akiyama famously never really got the big rub in all Japan, but Omori, especially, I mean, he was definitely under Akiyama and this 1999 run where he eventually gets this push up we're able to, he's able to pay dividends, right? Because you see in 1999, the fans vote for Omori and Akiyama to headline the Budokan. 
Uh, I mean, the Omori's first ever main event. It was a fan vote thing. Went over Masawa matches, went over Kobashi matches. They wanted to see Akiyama and Omori because it was something fresh. Mm. You know, they had all these matches with all these you know same guys for many years. And this was just a natural rivalry. Uh, Akiyama was hot. People wanted to see him, but also Omori. Like, he, it's not like they just put him against some scrub. You know, Omori had big fan reaction, big support. And it felt like this was really going to be something for Omori. And unfortunately, you know, two years later, it's just not really the case. But he was just always that guy underneath. He never had like a stable partner like he was he wasn't working under the holy demon army all that much you know he wasn't working under baba too much like it was he was always just kind of that rookie for hire who never really had his footing even with that team with akiyama akiyama was still teaming with the burning guys you know it's like oh it's just the all asia run it was you know house show stuff um and once so once akiyama takes off to start teaming with uh, misawa and then later kobashi it's like Omori has nobody. So, you know, he has like Stan Hansen, he has Tamon Honda. Like, and eventually they link up with Takayama, who, you know, similar route with him coming. He, he couldn't find a stable partner. He was coming in off the kingdom run after UWFI. And it's, it was just a perfect pairing and the perfect time for all Japan to be like, okay, these are two guys we haven't exhausted matches with. Let's put them in here and push them to the moon. I mean, within like six months of them first teaming together in the uh, 98 tag league, they're going against the Holy demon army and beating them. Like that beating them in Budokan, like clean, I think it was like a 13 minute match. So they were very like quick to be like, we have something with these guys. We need to do something with people. We have something with these two. Let's push them hard into the moon to where they were the first team that, uh, did the whole uh, double championship deal. They had all Asia and the real world titles at the same time, which never done. I don't think it's happened since either. So it's just like this really weird period in retrospect, because it didn't really pay off, especially for Omori. Um, kind of it sounded like a blip on the radar of all Japan and Omori's career. But there was like this two or three year run where it really felt like this could be a guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think we, in context, you you have to look at ninety eight and ninety nine as being that that transition period before the eventual split of most of the roster to form Pro Wrestling Noah. That you know, Misawa is going to be grooming, being groomed to be the Booker, and I think you know, there there is a there is a thought on his part, like I have to get the the next generation ready. Me, Kawada, Tawe, and Kobashi. Are, are hitting our limits and especially him masawa himself is like knows like he's he's really at a point is in his career where like he's he's breaking down and like he, you know just so people will understand like in noah he didn't want to be the ace necessarily he had to be the ace but eventually he was going to pass it off to kobashi and then kobashi's history with injuries screwed all that up and then like and there's just it's a domino effect in, in Noah. So like people who like say, oh, he just pushed himself in, in Noah. He didn't, he he reluctantly pushed himself in Noah. If you know, if you do any research about Masao, which you know, I, I have done so. Um, but here I think it, it's an interesting period in 1999, especially because you do get this push of Omori and Takayama, which I think was designed to to kind of fill in that void of that big bruising 
tag team that's usually filled by like foreign tag teams like the road warriors or the miracle violence connection but you don't really have anyone with the kind of you know like dr death is still there but he's kind of broken down as well and so you know like you don't necessarily have this big bruising foreign tag team that's that's coming into to all japan that's any good i mean i'm they brought people in that are big bruiser types type of wrestlers but they're not very good but you have like omori he's a very big guy takiyama very big guy put them together it's like they look pretty impressive and so they kind of filled that void that was left by the you know the dissolution of the miracle violence connection and i and i also think like like the plan was like omori and takiyama were gonna be like the new kind of you know holy demon army in the sense of like they're gonna be, kind of be heels in the company they're going to be Japanese heels to towards the the other members of the roster, and and like the other people that were going to get pushed. And my, as far as I could tell, before the split was going to be Akiyama for sure, and and Manokea Mossman who eventually becomes Taiokea when the split does happen. But I think, you know, like he's paired with Akiyama around this time as his tag team partner, because um, Akiyama does leave Burning. He leaves, you know, Kobashi's you know, on the mentorship, so to speak. And he kind of strikes out on his own because I think there's a deliberate, you know, idea that he's gonna, he's gotta be his own guy. He can't be like the second to Kobashi or Misawa anymore. He has to be his own guy. And we see that happening in the first year of Noah that he's pushed as a top guy, as a, as a leader of his own faction. I think that would have happened if the split didn't happen. And we're seeing the, we see the seeds of that with, with Mossman and him as, as a tag team together. But, uh, it's one of my big what ifs, you know, Rob, like what if the split never happened, you know, that and like, what if Russell one split never happened with the, you know, the more recent all Japan that that's my other big, what if in, in professional wrestling, but uh, I want to talk a bit about the, the team as a whole. So as you were saying, uh, Yoshiro Takeyama, who would later gain fame as a single star, in, he became the star that that you thought Omori might have become because he was actually a trueborn All Japan and thus it's kind of a trueborn Noah guy. But like we'll talk about some of the reasons why he never got that. There's a particular incident that happened in in Noah that that that's probably the reason why Omori got uh, never got pushed in for wrestling Noah and eventually left. But no fear, they formed in the fall of 1998. They were kind of a subset, like a kind of a you know, they were, they were paired with Gary Albright in the triangle of power. Uh, that didn't last very long, uh, though. Uh, Albright eventually just started doing his own things. I think mainly with, with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, uh, and, and some other, uh, some of the other foreign talent being brought in. Uh, no Fear won the all-Asia tag team titles from Jinsei Shinsaki and Hayabusa on June 4th of 1999. Um, and a month later, on July 23rd, they, they would win the World Tag Team Championships from Johnny Ace and Bart Gum. And Bart Gunn, sorry, to become the first team, as you said, Rob, to hold both titles at the same time. Uh, in Pro Wrestling Noah, they were the GHC Tag Champions by winning those belts from Misawa and Yoshinari Ogawa on December 9th. And, uh, and you know, then they would break up mainly because, like, he, Omori got in the doghouse because, like, he, so for some reason, the a match he was having with Shinya Hashimoto didn't go the way it was planned. It, it ended early. Um, many people speculated because Shinya Hashimoto was like shooting on him or like really stiffing him to the point where it's like, I cannot continue. This guy is killing me literally in this match. So he ended it. He, he embarrassed uh, Pro Wrestling Noah 
he embarrassed Masawa. So Masawa then sent him to the United States to work for Harley Race. And then he never was brought back to Japan. And then he was doing the Indies. Then he went to Zero One. Then he went to New Japan. And then yeah, finally... Masawa said he never, uh, he never sent him on excursion. Well, yeah, I mean, what he did, because like you can see, <laughs> he, did, but he's he's, he worked for Harley Race's MLW. What was it? <laughs> uh, what was what was Harley's promotion called in oh, Missouri? I forget. Not MLW. That's that's fucking Corp Bowers promotion. Uh, anyways, he was sent. He was sent there. <laughs> There's records of it. He won titles. He won the title. He came, tried to come. He came back to Japan. Noah wasn't going to take him back. He was so in the doghouse. Um, he went to zero one. He went to New Japan, teamed with Manabu Nakanishi, and eventually he made his way back to All Japan, where you know, like at first he was rivals again with returning Jun Nakayama. Then they would, um, you know, be paired off both as as partners and as rivals. They've they've won the World Tag Team Titles in All Japan. They've been, uh, you know, like Omori won his first and only chip, uh, Champions Carnival by beating Akiyama in the finals, and. Uh, yeah, he's he's had a very interesting career. I, I understand why Dylan likes him so much. One, I think it's that underdog thing about Omori. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, like if you watch Omori's work, he is he's, he's a very good wrestler. He he has very good timing, he has a decent moveset, and hey, that axe bomber is a pretty good fucking lariat uh for for, for what it is, and it's it does it way better than than the you know that Terry guy who was using it in, in New Japan in the uh late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. I mean, Omori, very impressive. You brought up his size before. Right? He just an imposing figure. You see him next to Takayama and there's really not that much of a difference. And Takayama's considered, you know, one of the bigger wrestlers to come through Japan. Yeah. And, and w- one thing I do like urge people to do is like, check out no fear matches. They're, they're fun. They're really, they're a breath of fresh air. See the stuff, other stuff that's going on in 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 the in the in the company at this time and and yeah like i i again like i think omori and takayama like you know all things being equal if if no one didn't happen they would have been pushed to the moon and i think would have become like in that in that mix with akiyama for sure in in the top end of 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 all japan leading up into the 2000s and maybe the 2010s but um yeah, so we're going to talk about this this tag team title match from Budokan Hall. Um, before we do that, I want to I do want to recommend people watch for for added context for this match, Robert. I want to talk about this match that happened on July fourth of nineteen ninety nine at Corkin Hall. It's a tag match between No Fear against Kenta Kobashi and uh, another member of Burning, Kentaro Shiga. And um, this adds context for like a lot of the like Kobashi's interactions, especially with with Yoshihiro Takayama, is that. So you have to understand, like Takayama, like uh, Kobashi has an injured face. He's wearing like a nose guard. He kind of looks like like mankind from the WWF <laughs> with this mask on, and and so like no fear, just have no compunctions about going after his injured his injured nose, his face, and this like plays into this match now in October, and this is really great long term storytelling, um, and. You know, like it, it so I, I do, you know, it's out there on YouTube. Go check out No Fear versus Kenokobashi and Kentaro Shiga, July 4th, 1999 at Corken Hall. It it adds a lot of context to this match here on October 30th at Budokan Hall. So have you seen that match, by the way? I have. So you, you know what I'm talking about. Like there's like the like they just, you know, like Kobashi wants to get his hands on 
on these on these guys, especially Takayama in this match because of the July fourth match. Yeah, I mean he's kind of you brought up the mankind things, kind of like what basketball players wear. You know, you don't want people messing with your face. No, and and, and I believe it was a legit injury. Yeah. <laughs> not that they're trying to injure him for real, obviously not. Um, but like, it, it's a great, great way to get heat is just go after someone's legit injury, you know, even though like, and, and in Japan at the time, it's like kayfabe was alive and well. So they think no fear, like Takayama is like legit trying to kick Kobashi's nose off in this match. And it's yeah, great, and he's not like an all Japan uh, true born. Like if Omori's doing it, maybe a different reaction. Takayama going after him. It's like, well, what the hell are you doing? Well, there is that kind of like added context for sure. All right, let's get to this match from uh, October 30th, 1999, Budokan Hall. No Fear taking on Burning for the World Tag Team titles. Uh, no Fear enter first. I, I like their entrance. They, so if people have never seen No Fear, they just have this really great tandem entrance where they just, you know, like uh, like they're they're holding each other's shoulders together and they're just walking together, pointing. I love the No Fear point. You know, you remember that movie uh, Hocus Pocus with how the witches walk when they first come out? I don't, but maybe there's someone listening uh, who does. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Sanderson sisters come out and their arms are linked and they're doing that same walk you see No Fear do. And also, like, they had the greatest uh, call. No Fear! <laughs> that if, if anyone's ever played Virtual Pro Wrestling 2, you can do that taunt with the taunt control on, on that game, which is fucking awesome, by the way. Um, then, uh, you know, no fear enter the ring. And then we hear the strains of one of the greatest theme songs in all of professional wrestling. And that is grand sword. And then the tag champions burning enter Budokan hall. And you, you know, while the, the strains of grand sword are playing, we hear the, the audience in Budokan chant Kobashi, Kobashi, Kobashi is fucking amazing. I love this song. Oh, I mean, it's contender for best of all time. A lot of people love Spartan X, and it's a great song, Masao's theme. I like Grand Sword just a little bit more than, than Spartan X. But, uh, yeah. Um, okay, at this point, Rob, I, I have to talk about it. I sent you a private message about this. Like, we, we, get a good, we get a good shot of, like, Omori's hair here. And, and uh, you have to – my people might, who've seen Omori recently might think, oh, he's blonde, he dyes his hair blonde. Actually – in the 90s, he kept his hair black. So did Takayama, because I think also a lot of people associate Takayama with having blonde hair. Um, but, you know, Takayama just has this natural black hair, and it's kind of a n- typical, like, Japanese dude's, you know, the 1990s haircut that he has. But Omori, to me, I was just like, what, what is going on with this dude's hair? He, you know what it looks like? It looks like, like if someone straightened out a Brillo pad and stuck it on his fucking head. That's what it looks like to me. It almost like, looks braided, doesn't it? Looks like it, like, it looks like a perm gone wrong. That's what it looks <laughs> like. You know what I mean? Like seriously, yeah. I was like, is that a? Is he? It looks like it feel weird. Yeah. It looks like he could, like he could, he could clean like debris off of like a fucking dish <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? That's well, stuck I'm sure that's how Masawa was using them near the end. So. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when you don't do a match that's supposed to go as planned. It, throws off all your plans maybe like that's gonna and Hashimoto had something to prove at that time too maybe yeah like you know Hashimoto he's that was his first match outside of New Japan with all that I think I remember that I haven't seen in a long time I I got to go (laughs) look for it I think I think he's legit like picking the shit out of him (laughs) yeah it's pretty brutal Um, I don't blame Omori at all no no but hey you know who did blame him Masawa (laughs) 
And that goes, hey. matters more than us. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, it's interesting with like no fear. They were kind of pushed as heels in the company. And so there are like some very audible boos for no fear, which you, which is, which is really cool to hear. But also again, in, in all Japan, not the most common thing you're, you know, not the most typical thing you're going to hear from the audience that are boos from, from, from them. Yeah, you get the booze. There's definitely still support for Omori. I mean, it's nowhere near the level of burning, but it was cool too to be like, we understand, you know, why you chose this route. I mean, you've been scrapping all this time. Now is your opportunity. You know, you got to make the most of it. Um, there are, like you said, there's massive pops for Akiyama and especially Kobashi. This is like his peak, I feel. Like 97 to 99, I think is his in-ring peak for me. And like just his popularity is just through the roof because everyone knows like, okay, he's the guy after Masawa, he's going to be the ace. It's not going to be Kawada, you know, unfortunately it's going to be Kobashi and like, and they, and, and for a reason, because like the fans love Ken Kobashi because he's so fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, this has got, this match has got a ton of heat in it right away. And, and it, it's, it's helped by the fact that Kobashi just, wants to start the match he wants no fear particularly takayama uh and of course you know again watch the july 4th match that i just mentioned from from cork and hall um akiyama has to try to kind of keep kobashi calm he's like let me go let me go and then but it's all a ruse rob because it's all a ruse because then as soon as like no fear is back his turn he drop kicks omori into takayama and this match is fucking on and it doesn't stop no, it's a great pace. No, it's a great, you know, Akiyama follows up with this drop kick. He follows up with a jumping knee and hits Takayama with a drop kick that sends him to the floor. And this crowd is now fired up. It's a really hot start to this match. And it's it's a nice change of pace. Again, this is kind of maybe a, a theme we're gonna we're gonna be going on about. It's like how fresh this kind of uh these you know, some of the participants in this in this main event, semi-main event matches with with Takayama and Omori. But also, like, kind of the style is, is a fresh change because you don't really get too many, you know, hot starts to matches in all Japan. It's, it, it does tend to be kind of a feeling out process that builds and builds and builds to the crescendo. But this is like right off the bat, super hot start. And it feels earned, like you mentioned, with the build up to it, too. Why would they have a lockup to start? Takiyama's right. an asshole. Exactly. <laughs> more, he's, a, he's betraying them by siding with this guy. Also, like, no fear of getting pushed. So like they are, they are, they take them seriously. Like Akiyama and Kobashi take them seriously. Like the, these guys have a very excellent chance of dethroning us as the world tag team champions. So, you know, they want to kind of get the, the upper hand on these guys as well as like, you know, putting hurt up, put up, put up, putting a hurting on them as well. Um, Kobashi tags into a massive pop. He, uh, there's a double shoulder tackle with, with Kobashi and Akiyama and then onto Omori and then Kobashi lays in some knees to Omori's guts and goes for a suplex. But Takayama puts a stop to that with a kick to the back. Uh, Takayama then great amount of booze for that one. Oh, he was oh great. God. Yeah, uh, it's like why are you booing that? That's like that's what you would do if you were if you were him. You'd do the same thing. Save your partner from the suplex. Uh, oh, definitely. Takayama boots Akiyama in the face and hits his awesome knee lift. I love the Takayama knee lift. It's so fucking great, especially when sold as well as these guys sell it. Ah, uh, they. They were like, okay, this is one of your big moves. Okay. It's like getting hit with, you know, it's like getting hit with Kobashi's Lariat almost. Not exactly. a finisher necessarily, but they they treat it like the same as like, you know, like 
you know, Masawa's like one of Masawa's tiger drivers or his elbows or, or Kobashi's like, uh, you know, like uh, Larry or something like that. Um, yeah, then uh, No Fear double teams Kobashi with stomps and a series of elbow drops. There's a control segment on Kobashi by Omori. And then uh, Takayama tags in and he does this really great move where it's kind of like a, like a hanging sleeper hold on Kobashi. Like while he's sitting on the top turnbuckle and he's like lifting Kobashi up from the ground. And so like, I wish Kobashi, the camera got that better. Yeah. It's well, you know, but I, I think the, you know, but like yes. for the audience, we, we know what the, happened for the audience in the crowd. They can see clearly that like, this guy is like, like he's the noose is, is Takayama's arms. <laughs> That's the news, right? He's hanging this dude. He's not just putting a sleeper on the bed. He's he's like doing something really, really, you know, severe and and illegal for sure. And and they and they don't want to see their hero in in this uh, in this predicament. So like he's definitely getting like like getting the, the audibly told off by the crowd for for doing this stuff. Um, Takayama boots Kobashi in the face a couple of times and goes for some stunts. But you know what? Kobashi's like had enough. He gets pissed off by, by this point and then fires off a loud vicious chop as he gets up to Takayama's chest. It's great. Yeah. I mean, that just a big old flurry of chops, right? Omori. <laughs> I mean, he understands like Takayama can't be taking this shit from Kobashi. I love the cutoffs of this match. They're very quick to be like, we cannot let Akiyama and Kobashi start teeing off on us. We have to keep control. Yeah, from this though, it's a nice, it's a back and forth between Kobashi and Takema. Kobashi hitting the chops and Takema kind of retaliating with forearms. Uh, Takema is able to gain the upper hand by running through a, a, a chop. Like he, he basically, Kobashi chops him as he hits the ropes. He runs through that and then he ends up booting Kobashi to the face. Uh, but this, this time, this this boot to the face keeps him down. You know the thing with Takayama is like I think he was kind of being positioned because of his style is very similar to Kawada as being kind of like that that shooter kick kicking type of wrestler that would you know would kind of be like very similar to like how Kawada was pushed in the ring. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I've never considered those two, but I mean, we know what they thought of Kawada, so I think I'll be moving on with Takayama here. That's a great. I think he filled that role though in, in Noah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that style of wrestler, like him. Never and, thought of that before, but you mentioned that. It's like, oh yeah, that's clearly what they were like going Ken, for. Kenta was that in the junior division, you know? Um, but definitely Takayama in the heavyweight division, Noah was like, okay, we need someone who's like Kobashi, like Kawada. Yeah, let's get Takayama. He he basically wrestles a very similar style to, to Kawada. And we don't have Kawada, so we'll we'll push Takayama. Uh, there's a, a, a jumping knee from Takayama, a boot to the face again, and then another great knee lift. In my notes, it's all it's all caps, Rob, because this knee lift is is amazing. When you when you guys watch this match and I'm hopefully you've watched this first and then are listening to this that you'll know what I'm talking about with this knee lift. Uh, there's a then a high kick to Akiyama which Knocks Akiyama to the floor. Um, yeah, no fear being extremely dominant in this match so far. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it gets to the point, you know, where Kobashi <laughs> he starts getting upset, you know, and he's pushing the referee aside. And, you know, Akiyama had to come in to reset the nerves. And it's just really cool to see how fired up these guys were. I mean, you mentioned like just how fresh everything feels here this was so abnormal for a match to start this hot 
And I mean, writing out notes for this match, I didn't stop. I had no time to stop typing for the whole thing. It's like 17 minutes of just going, going. Like, yeah, we, we'll get to the, the the spot you mentioned, which is like the, you know, kind of get Kobashi off of Takayama. Because, but, but before that, you know, there's these, you know, Takayama's hitting these repeated boots to the face. And it, it serves no purpose other than to like awaken this sleeping giant that's in Kobashi. He's so pissed off in this match. It's great. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, who, and Kobashi fires back with some chops to the neck and then does a series of rolling uh, and then a rolling chop to the face. And then he just does a series of these rolling chops and, and you know, to, 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 to Takayama's head while he's in the corner to the point, you know, Omori tries to save his partner. But uh, Kobashi gives him some of the same medicine, some of the same medicine he's giving Takayama for good measure. Then, you know, he goes back to Takayama's head again with the rolling chops. And this, you know, the referee for this match just goes in and try to break this up because it's like, whoa, you're going to kill this guy because you're, you're, you know, the amount yeah, of Takayama's ducking it. Kobashi's like, no, 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 we're not done yet. <laughs> no, no, we're not done. He's, he's, and then, you know, the referee tries to get him in between with Kobashi. Nah, fuck you. He throws him aside. And then this this brings in Akiyama. He's like, whoa, 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 dude. Like, you can't be throwing the referee around. And he tries to come in and try to stop Kobashi from committing murder on, on Takiyama, which is which really goes to show you like the amount of like you know the the animosity is a great way to show like like Kobashi is the one who's got who wants to like kill these guys, not not Akiyama necessarily. He wants to beat them, but Kobashi wants to like just take them out of wrestling forever. It, it really is incredible. Um, Omori then takes this opportunity while Akiyama is holding Kobashi back to dropkick Kobashi out from out of nowhere, which is a nice callback to what Akiyama did at the beginning of this match. Uh, Akiyama attacks and gets met with an axe bomber for his troubles. Great, great looking lariat, uh, his own version of that move. Uh, I And I have my notes right now. This match is fucking great so far. I, I'm really digging this match, Rob. Yeah, I mean, I've watched it. I think five times since, you know, we first talked about doing this match and every time just loving it more and more. Uh, Omori presses an attack on Akiyama on the floor, including uh, DDTing him with the floor mat removed. Uh, Kobashi rushes in to make the save, though, but Omori reverses Kobashi into the guardrail. Omar, Omori drops repeated knees to Akiyama's neck, uh, Akiyama's neck I think with the, the knee pad down, and then hits mm-hmm. a power driver on him. Uh, Takayama hits a high kick to the to Akiyama's face and then nails with a stiff kick to the back. He then boots Kobashi off the apron for good measure. There's a leg drop and he goes for one of those arrogant one foot pin that pisses Kobashi off. And, Second uh, time he did it in this match too. Like, yeah, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? Um, I don't know if like the referee for this match is not Kyo Iwata. It's I forget the guy's name, but he's he's a wrestler that he's a referee that would be you know be one of the big refs in in pro wrestling Noah. Uh, later on but like these like i don't know like if kobashi like uh if kyo iwata would have counted this this pin yeah he, he may he, have waved that one off he he hates that pin and <laughs> i i i'm not a big fan of it but i would have counted it because it's like to me contact if you have contact with the guy and with your opponent and they're on their back then you count as a pin but uh yeah anyways again something that pisses kobashi off once more uh no fear taunts and disrespects Kobashi. Omori tags in and lays in a series of uppercuts, one of his signature moves. Uh, no fear hit their own double shoulder tackle. Not as good as the burning one, um, but you know, it's like it's kind of a go-to double team move here, here in all Japan. 
there's a full Nelson slam followed by a top rope elbow from Omori to Akiyama, but Akiyama was able to kick out at two. Um, and then they hit their double team power bomb, but Kobashi makes a save. And interestingly enough, he then gets booed by the fans in Budokan for bringing up this pin attempt. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not a big boo, but it's a noticeable boo. People being like, hey. Well, to the point, the announcer's like, oh, booing <laughs> for Kobashi? Wow. But I guess they really wanted to see a, a decisive win from this double team powerbomb, which is kind of like the, 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 the signature finisher from, from No Fear. I get it from Kobashi. I mean, they're breaking shit up. Why can't I be breaking shit up? Yeah, like it's, they, it's not like you've never seen Kobashi make the save in a match <laughs> involving like Kawada. And Tawai has the opponents or, or, or like, you know, Johnny Ace and, and I don't know, fucking Wolf Hawkfield or, or something, you know, like, so what's the big deal? I don't know. I mean, it's Omori. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a connection there. They, they wanted to see that, uh, that, that win. They wanted to see these guys get elevated. Um, no fear gets the upper hand until Akiyama ducks out of a Takayama boot and he hits Omori instead. So like there's kind of a, a misfire there between teammates. Kobashi is able to tag in and hits Takayama with a flying shoulder tackle. Beautiful move from Kobashi. Uh, Omori gets a dose of Kobashi's chops, including a short burst of his machine gun chops. Not not the uh, extended version of, 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 of that particular move. No, not extended. Uh, Omori reverses a powerbomb attempt. Kobashi ducks under a spinning back kick and is able to hit a rolling kick to the stomach and hits a standing leg drop and then falls up with a power bomb and and i gotta make a note of this you know like omori's you know kind of spinning back kick for a guy his size he's a very very agile man <laughs> yeah i mean and his body goes flying on that kick he misses <laughs> yeah he just Floating like kind of clears it's like he it's a, it's a miracle he didn't go out to the to the floor outside of the ring um <clears throat> excuse me omori reverses a health nelson suplex attempt and is finally able to hit his uh, spinning back kick uh, Takayama tags in and hits a beautiful running drop kick on Kobashi. Again, like so agile for a man of his size. No comment there, Rob, about the agility I mean, of Takayama. He's ex- it, hmm. yeah. I mean, I guess at this point, nothing surprises me. I mean, these guys have been going so hard the entire match. Like, oh, why can't he hit, hit this great fucking drop kick? Right. Uh, Takayama then goes for a sleeper hold. Um, Takayama then transitions it into like a, a cross face of sorts. I, I, I call it like a one arm rings of Saturn, what he puts him in. Yeah. And it was interesting seeing, you know, him go back to a more submission based thing after a lot of clobbering. That's right. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of like, well, you know, he gets come from well, UWFI, yeah. right? So, and, and, but this does seem like something that he was leaving out of his repertoire as no fear tags were going on. I mean, when they won those all Asia uh, against Hayabusa and Shinzaki saw a lot of that in this match, there was very little. This was like the one spot. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Kobashi's in this uh, submission hold and this prompts Akama to come in to help, but you know, to help out Kobashi, but uh, Takea hits, uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, oh, and then no fear double teams Kobashi including uh, a bunch of sandwich uh, axe bombers. So basically, Takayama hits Kobashi from the front with a lariat, and then uh, at the same time, simultaneously, Omori hits Kobashi in the back of the head with his axe bomber. Looks great. Um, There's 
uh, sorry, I'm just trying to find my place in my notes. Takeda hits a nice jumping lariat onto Kobashi as well from the top rope. Akiyama gets the upper hand on No Fear. He hits a dragon screw leg whip, but it's met with a Takeda boot to the face as soon as he gets up. And then there's another knee, big knee lift to the midsection. And we're basically at the crescendo of, of this yeah. match here, Robert. Crowd goes big with the stomping on this near fall. Um, Takeyama then signals for the Everest German, but thankfully uh, Akiyama makes a save. He then hits a running knee to Kobashi that sends him five feet into the air. <laughs> I don't know literally, but it looked like it was like five into the air. And then he goes for the pin. There's a one, there's a two, but Kobashi kicks out. And this crowd is just loving all the, 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 the false finishes that we're getting so far in this match. Um, Takeyama hits a jumping knee, but Kobashi fires back with a lariat and stuns Omori with a chop. And then Akeyama hits an exploder suplex on uh, Omori. Uh, Kobashi grabs Takeyama by the hair. Thankfully, not by Omori because he might have cut his hands on the, the Brillo pad <laughs> stiffness of, of Omori's hair if he did that with Omori. But he grabs Takeyama by the hair and sends him into the future with the burning lariat uh, for the one, two, and three. And, uh, you know, uh, Kobashi Akeyama burning retains the world tag team titles in 14 minutes and 54 seconds. It's less than 15 minutes, Rob. Yeah, and you know, it's matches like this that you know you can just keep on repeating. I mean, it just the action never stops. You can just keep it on an infinite loop, and it's just man. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I've had so much fun watching a match like this. You know, you were mentioning off air how down we feel on current wrestling. This this will get you reinvigorated on what wrestling should be all about. Yeah, just like as far as an in-ring presentation, for sure, for sure. Um, I, I did think it was really interesting, like, you know, like uh, matches of, you know, involving the World Tag Team titles would usually go minimum 20 minutes, like at the very least. And and I thought, you know, there might have been a more pit attempts in this match going in, but it's it's pretty like pretty much like this is like maybe the second or third pin attempt in this match and, and, and Kobashi gets it easily. Not with his like ultra finisher. He, he finishes off Takayama with one of his uh, more standard finishes, which, which don't get me wrong. Like getting hit with that Lariat, it does not look like it's fun. It looks like it, it, it will like knock you out for sure. Um, but like say, for example, he's in there with Kawada or Tawa or Misawa. He, he wouldn't have, it wouldn't have pinned them. I feel he would have had gone to like the burning hammer or some other, uh, finisher of his that to, to to take them out, but like with with Takeyama, I mean, he's not at that level yet, so he gets pinned with the with the the standard, uh, you know, finisher, the burning lariat from Kobashi for one two three. Great match. I I liked it that that it did not go twenty minutes. So that being said, when I was researching it over on Cage Match, there's some people who are like when they're when their ratings are like I would have gone higher if it was a little bit longer, and. I, I don't feel like I would have done that. I might've gone lower. Like if it was a little bit longer, like maybe five minutes longer with, with a, with, you know, consistent story going into the, the five, the finish. Sure. But I think it was fine for what it was. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, if, if you were to extend it, you'd have to tell a completely different match. Like we're, we're going to go another five minutes at this pace. Like now you would need to restructure everything. I think for what they wanted to do, this was perfect. I mean, I, I've mentioned it over and over again now that it really was incredible to me that they never took any time like to reset or nothing. It was just, 
like they knew exactly what they were doing all the way through and just told an intense story that, yeah, you know, Takayama didn't, he didn't get the big move to take him out, but you know, this was an out of nowhere type of build and it was enough. I mean, I felt earned. You, you don't blame Takayama for not kicking out of this one. No, no, of course not. And he, like I said, he's not at that level yet. Yeah. You know, at this, at this point in his career, um, he would get there obviously, you know, following his big push in Noah. And obviously after his, his, you know, pride stuff, especially the, the match with Don Fry. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's fine for what it is. I think also like in retrospect, you know, like you, you there's a theory I have that maybe they were going to try to reeducate the fans that matches don't have to go more than 20 minutes to you know, in title matches or things in the semi-main event to, to be entertaining and like, you, you know, fans were used to like these matches going 30 minutes plus, you know, or 20, 20, 20 plus minutes, 20 to 30 minutes um, in these main events. So like they wouldn't necessarily buy into like false finishes per se. I think if you have a match that ends with this kind of finish in under 15 minutes, that's a great way to to kind of educate your audience that, hey, you know, finishes can come in any time. And I, I also famously want to, you know, like talk about the uh the match that omori has i think it's in the champions carnival where he pins akiyama after like i believe an axe bomber right and, and it's under it's, it's like in the first three minutes of the match it's seven seconds seven he, seconds there you go he yeah he pulls the referee in front of him to distract akiyama and then gets akiyama with the axe bomber and then he first ever him. win against akiyama yeah yeah and and i i remember reading that result and i remember listening to live audio wrestling at the time and it was hosted by at that time was like jeff merrick and dan dan lavransky and they they were both like this is a great finish and the <laughs> reason why it's a great finish is because okay one is champion carnival so it doesn't it it you don't need to it's not the finals of it it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a qualifying it's like a rounds match right so you can do you can do finishes like this but then again again it tells you like when omori faces akiyama again if he hits him with the axe bomber, it tells you two things. One, the, the match can end at any time, which is great. I think fans should be educated about that. Two, if he hits him with the axe bomber, there's a good chance that Akiyama is going down for the pin again. Yeah, it's a great re-education. Um, we do have to factor in, you know, these guys are still, I mean, they're not the Misawa level. I don't think Misawa is going to be losing a tag in 15 minutes, you know, type deal. But um it is good to be using these younger guys to have a, a new approach. I mean, these guys know the big toll this is taking wrestling all these 45 minute championship matches all the time. It's like, no, if, if we can get people just a lot of action in 15, rather than killing ourselves for 45, the fans won't get burned out. We'll feel a little bit better. Like it's not going to kill us as hard. So I, I think it's uh, ultimately a good call. Yeah, I mean, I speak for myself, obviously. I don't know what your opinion is, but like I will take a good, you know, 20 minute match or under as long as it makes sense and I'm satisfied with like the story that was told to me rather than like an overly long um, you know, 30 plus minute match. Like I I don't know how many times like like in recent New Japan particularly you see these matches go long for the sake of going long and it's like you could have finished this like 5 10 minutes ago and why didn't you like now I'm, I'm 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 like regretting watching this because like i just feel like i'm not interested i've lost my interest in the match 
Do you know what I mean? And I think it's better to retain a pers- like a, the fans' interest and then have the finish happen at, at, at the peak of their interest rather than like have their interest and then slowly but surely in the last, you know, the last kind of quarter of the match, the last third of the match, you know, lose people's interest because it's like, well, like, why is it so long? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's there's something to be said for just how much wrestling is available now that we get burned out by, but also, I mean, the fans going to these shows, they're seeing all these long matches. You got, you got to wonder, you know, how big of a toll is taking on them being like, okay, well, we know in the first 20 minutes a pen's not happening. So what are we doing? We're just going <laughs> to sit on our hands and just, and you know, wait for that 25 minute for the seats at wrestling back. shows are not comfortable. <laughs> Let's just say that live, like the live experience seats at, at, at wrestling shows are not comfortable. The, 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 the upper deck of Budokan is probably some of the most comfortable seats, but that was like, you know, three years ago. This is like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it was like in the nineties, but like floor seats, floor seats are not comfortable. Like they they never are. So I don't want to be like, and, and people are there for like two plus hours, you know, getting up to go to the washroom or getting food or during the, the intermission, whatever, that's fine. But like, I can tell you from experience, I do not want to be sitting there for three plus hours at a show. Like I will start, you know, like I will, I will lose my interest. And like you, you run the risk of burning out a, a significant portion of your audience. So anyways, I don't want this necessarily to become a rant about like long matches or anything like that. But I do think I just wanted, my point being is like, there is a, there is an argument to be made for having like things like a, a semi-main event or even a main event go less than you know 20 minutes and this is like kind of playing into your, your gimmick as it were rob you know but it, i i do actually believe that like you know educate the fans that a match can end anytime and you'll get more heat and and a bigger pop for when you do false finishes just treat the fans like their time means something you know if you're going to do something big and grand i mean make it something that is going to be memorable you know if you're just killing time they're going to be wondering what the hell they're doing then yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, um, with that, do you have any final thoughts about this match or about any of the participants? Well, I mean, what would you say is Omori's peak in his career? Is it the carnival a couple months later? No, I no, I think I mean I think his peak comes like after, you know, after Noah. You know, yeah. I think I think his peak is like when he's the top dog in in, in zero one like his in-ring peak. Um, I, I think also like his return to all Japan. There's a lot of great stuff there uh, with Akiyama against Akiyama, but against like, I love the get wild tag team he has with Manabu Soya. Yeah. I think that's a great period of his career. Um, this it, it's, 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 it's difficult to say with him um, with in, in this original run of all Japan, because it gets, it, it gets cut short with the split yeah. with, uh, with Noah. Right. So, and he never got to take off in Noah because of the, the match with Hashimoto and being in the doghouse. And then like to the point where like, he's not invited back. You know, I always, always thought like, like it was surprising that he went to zero one. I thought he should have gone to all Japan back, back there. Cause they could have used him. And then I'm pretty sure they would have welcomed him back. Well, he's back by Oh four, right. He has that match with Kawada for the triple crown. Yeah, but even before that, like, you know, before, you know, like, but he's yeah, not there like consistently, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he's not there consistently. It's not because then he does the run. He does the wild child thing with Nakanishi over in, in New Japan. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then it just to me is it's like weird that it takes them so long to kind of just become a permanent member of the of the All Japan roster again. Uh, by the time Mudo's in, in charge of the company. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, but that to me is like kind of his peak, in my opinion. I mean, I'm sure there's people who, who might have different differing thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, because watching, you know, that, that carnival final he has with Kobashi a couple months after this, it's just, yeah, it's I mean, just it's, one of those big wrestling what-if stories. It's like, <laughs> what if Omori wasn't in the doghouse? Is kind of the big conclusion that came out of watching all these matches. Yeah, I do think like he would have been up there with with Akiyama as a, as a new as an all Japan true born, as a native wrestler um to be pushed to not the same level like if Akiyama is Misawa, like if we're going to make an analogy with like the four pillars like, you know, like Akiyama by the the you know, 2000s close to 2000 the 2010s, Akiyama would have been the ace of the company, he would have been the Masawa. And I think, you know, there's a good chance either Takayama or, or Omori would have been the Kawada. He would have been the one B, you know, I think Omori had a better chance because he was the true born. And, you know, like if you know anything about Japanese companies, they do tend to prefer people who start off in their dojo system and get pushed that way rather than someone who comes from someplace else. Not that it doesn't happen. Of course it happens, but I think Omori would have given, been given more chances and a stronger push than Takeyama would have if, if the split didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, you bringing up the comparison of Kawada and Takeyama has me thinking, I mean, maybe Omori is like a Taue, right? Like he doesn't get many opportunities, but he's going to be that solid foundation tag guy who's, clearly has the fan support for those big matches. No, but I think if the split didn't happen, you know, and Omori mm-hmm. never got in the doghouse, that Omori would have gotten the, the 1D push. He would have been positioned in the same position like that Kawada eventually ended up in, in all Japan, right? But I think the, the thing with Takeyama is why he gets the push he does is because, like, he goes off and gets, you know, he goes off famous. and he, 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 there's the pride stuff, you know? Yeah. He becomes famous in pride, and then, like, that, that cements his place in all of wrestling in Japan that, well, we have to push this guy because he had this legend. He's, he's a household name because of like the beating he endured at the hands of Don Fry and other people <laughs> in, in pride. So, you know, that, that has nothing to do necessarily with wrestling. I, and Hey, I like Takeyama. I think he's a great wrestler and he deserves all the success he's, he's ever achieved in his career and it's, it's a tragedy what happened to him it's a it, i'm just glad he's he's alive and recovering but it's it's a tragedy how his career ended um but yeah like omori i think would have got the push like i think being put in the champions carnival final with kobashi is was a, a sign of like the the faith and you know uh, the faith they had in him and like that where they saw him being which was you know, a 1B type of character. If only it played out that way. If only. Well, wrestling is is always like that. What if it what yes. if this happened with someone I liked and, and things like that? But um yeah, any any other final thoughts there? No, I mean I just highly recommend people check this out. I mean, you mentioned before my 20-minute gimmick. <laughs> this is just right in my lane of matches that you know when you first came to me about doing the show, the first match that came to mind was the Holy Demon Army against Hayabusa and Shinsaki. 
but I saw that you had done, like, I think it was like a burning match against them. So I didn't want to do that, but that's like a similar case of just a real compact, you know, maybe a little less, a little more under the radar, a little less known than some of the bigger classic tag matches that I think quality is just as great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you picked this match because it is the first time we are talking about no fear uh, and either Takeyama or Omori. So like, it's always nice to get like kind of fresh names in to the, to the mix on the, on the show. So it's, it's great that you picked this match, but uh, yeah, Rob, where, where can people find uh, more of your work? If, if they, if they, if they've enjoyed your appearance on the long and winding railroad here. Yeah. If you enjoyed what I have to say, you can find me on Twitter at B McCooley. Um, you know, just a lot of match recommendations is my thing. You know, like everybody else, I have a spreadsheet that I probably put out and matches from all over the place, mostly Japanese promotions, but I cover all of them I can find. Um, and I even provide the links in there. If you, you know, don't know where to find something you can easily access and find out, you know, what I'm going crazy about at the moment. Sounds good. And, and as well, like we said before, you, you also do a lot of uh, contributions over at Eastern Lariat. Yes, always over there, especially on the Patreon. You can catch me there at least monthly there with Dylan discussing our favorite matches of that month. Sometimes yeah. we do, you know, off topic shows about you know certain drafts. It's always a good time on the Eastern Lariat Patreon. That's right. So uh, patreon.com slash Eastern Laird. I'm a subscriber myself, so I get to check out all this content. You should be too if you love Japanese wrestling. I don't think there's a finer place to to get uh, news, reviews, analysis of Japanese wrestling than than the Eastern Laird with Striga, Dylan Fox, and of course, uh, Rob here. Um, Yeah. Any any final any final thoughts from you? (laughs) No, just thanks so much for asking me to be on the show. It was a real privilege to you know, get the call from WH and get my research going and get to flex the wrestling brain and have this conversation with you. Oh, thank you for coming on board. And uh, I want to thank, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank everyone else for like being able to uh, support the show, uh, enjoying the show and then seeing nice things about it whenever we tweet out a a new episode and uh, yeah, like keep, keep, uh, keep it dialed into post wrestling. We got so much amazing stuff coming out um and and for this particular show like we have some plans we'll see if they uh you know bear fruit as it were um yeah and i'm excited about some of the upcoming content that i have planned for say june i I have a i have like something planned i we'll see if it comes to if it gets executed you know the way i want it to but june is is going to be a great episode and then yeah i'm gonna try to have as many like new first-time guests like rob here on the, the, the long and winding railroad road for 2022. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, you can follow me at WH park nine and follow me all my content over at postwrestling.com. And until next time, I will say goodbye. <laughs>